Leadership Confessions with Phil Rose from Clarity Leadership. Hi and welcome to the latest episode of Leadership Confessions with me, Phil Rose. Before we go on, I just want to say thanks for all the feedback we've had so far on our first guests, Scott, Nicole and Lee. The feedback's been overwhelmingly brilliant and please do keep it coming. I'm quietly confident you're going to love today's guest too, Jatinda Harchewell. Chatinda has been a successful chief pharmacist for over 16 years and is now at the Royal Marsden NHS Foundation Trust. He's got a reputation for building high-performance teams, delivering innovative services and supporting R&D. In March 2020, he was seconded as a director of pharmacy for the London Nightingale Hospital, leading the setup and running of a 24 by 7 medicine supply service to support the COVID-19 pandemic. Jatinda is the chair of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society's Hospital Expert Advisory Group and he was recently awarded a fellowship for the Royal Pharmaceutical Society in October 2020. And in October 2020, he was awarded an MBE in the Queen's Birthday Honours List for his work during the COVID-19 pandemic and services to the pharmaceutical profession. Above all of that, I've known Jatinda for about five years. We've worked together for five years and he's just the loveliest man you'd ever want to meet. So I'm delighted that he's here with us today. Jat, welcome. How are you, sir? Very well. Thank you, Phil. And um, thank you for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to uh, be part of your leadership confessions. <laughs> look, it's, a, it's a pleasure, sir. Thanks for coming on. So look, give us a, a, an overview, please, of your role at the Royal Milestone. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I've been um, a chief pharmacist for over 16 years and I, and I came to the Royal Marsden Hospital in 2014, September 2014. And, and my role here predominantly is as chief pharmacist, as described, uh, which basically is managing now about 200 staff across uh, two sites predominantly, but providing a whole series of services to deliver safe medicines to our patients on time. And uh, those of you who know about the Royal Marsden will know it's a specialist cancer hospital. And a big part of a lot of patients' journey is, is receiving their, um, their systemic anti-cancer treatment or chemotherapy, a lot of people know it as. And, um, and one of our big roles is making sure that we provide the safest possible care for our patients. So I have a real passion for making sure patients have a good experience, but they're treated safely and we support our medical nursing and all of our allied health professionals um, to deliver the best possible care for our patients. Excellent. You do a, a, you know outstanding work and we're all very grateful for that. Thank you. Today is around leadership confessions. So, you know, let, let's start at a sort of a, a macro level. When you think of leaders, who do you admire and but more importantly why those individuals i find it sometimes quite hard to just give you a single person um, because there are traits in a number of people that you see that are you can look at and be you can admire you can be um you know really inspired by those people and um so if i look first of all within my own hospital um and i see you know, a, a, one of the probably one of the longest serving chief executives in my in the NHS who works in my hospital and being being absolutely inspired by um, how Dame Kelly Palmer has, has has led this organization and made it a leading world class organization and um, and been I think you know 
being a chief exec in, in any NHS organization is difficult, but to do that and do that successfully for so many years um, really shows you the determination and, and also the standards and the continual desire to keep on improving and deliver outstanding services for your patients. I mean, that, that to me is, is, a, um, is really inspiring. So that's the first thing. But then when I look externally, as many of us tend to do, when we're looking at leaders, you know, I, a lot of people have been taken, I think, in the last, particularly the last couple of years, um, at um, you know Jacinda Ardern from the New Zealand Prime Minister, and and I look at I look at her, and and you, know, you, you can't be anything but you, you, but just truly admire the way she conducts herself, the way she manages to remain connected and humble, although in such a such a key position and when i say connected she connects to people from all diversities and backgrounds but is a quiet but strong leader and and that that i'm sure she makes it look easy but i think that is a lot about her own personal integrity and how she approaches things and and i can't even begin to think how how difficult a role like that must be and um and so you know, other, other leaders, when I look at people like, you know, Jacinda Ardern and, and then people like Barack Obama, who, who are successful in the face of adversity and in very challenging situations, you can't but sit back and observe how they conduct themselves, but also how they manage to feel so human in their approach. And, you know, Phil, you and I have discussed this about, actually, if you model the way and you model a way so that everybody can see that authentic style of leadership, but also can think, yeah, that person can talk to me uh, and, and anybody else across the organization, no matter what their backgrounds are. Well, then I think you start connecting both with your staff and the people who you are in daily interactions with. And, and I get the sense of that when I see those, so both those two people, and also when I see the, you know, admire the more local leader that I've just mentioned as well. So. Those are the types of leaders. And I look at the themes that come out from those, Phil. And, and for me, it is, there's that humility, there's that integrity, but there's also that quiet, strong leadership where people know the boundaries and people know what they stand for and their principles. And they really do model a way of leadership that appeals and talks to many people. Uh, I, I'm smiling here because anyone that's been on a workshop with Clarity and we've run through the leadership model, you know, principle number one, model the way. And, and it's great to hear you talking about that off the bat. Um, so how would you describe, let's make it more personal. How would you describe your leadership style? I often ask people for feedback if I'm doing, you know, how am I coming across or, or am I taking time to even check in with people if to, as to whether I'm, you know, exhibiting what you know, what are the right leadership skills? But you know, I often ask people that, and and I suppose the feedback I get given is a very, there's a very open leadership style, and I often start the day. I suppose, you know, this might indicate what I'm talking about in a bit more detail. I start the day by just going for a walk and speaking to my staff in all parts of the, the department, and. Uh, and as I said, I'm on usually different sites because we have staff spread out across um, uh, mainly two sites, more than 10, 15 miles apart. And I tend to spend um, the first, probably about the first half an hour, or if I can't do it first thing in the morning, at some point in the day where I'm, where I'm just taking time to inquire 
with my with my staff at all levels in all parts of the department and uh, and just really try and find out a bit more about them because I have that interest when they're working so hard for me for the hospital for our patients I think the least you can do is to check in with your staff and and I don't do that for anything else other than to know a I'm interested in them and also for them to know they can always access me and um, and I suppose if you were going to ask me about my leadership style one is real engagement with your teams mm -hmm. um, I think then that from their perspective that I would hope that comes across as I'm approachable but at the same time I'm quite open and honest about uh, any of the challenges but also my ambitions of what I want to do and uh, and I hope people see that authenticity in me yep. they'll see the hard work they'll see the engagement but I really hope they see that you know I'm here to try and really make a difference and my leadership style has always been you know, collaborative in the sense I want people to be part of the journey we're on and what we're trying to achieve. But I also want people to be, I suppose, invested in that vision of where we're trying to get to. And you can only do that, I think, if you connect with your staff. And I remember, Phil, we spent some time when you came and worked with me and my senior team. And, and it was those personal touches that make a difference to your staff. And if you can, you can only do that. You can only do that authentically if you know your staff. Yeah. And so for me, I try and connect, but I also try and make sure I get them involved. And and I'm not afraid to make the difficult decisions. I'm not. But I would hope people would respect that a little bit more when they understand that I've taken time to to see the full picture before I make a decision. And so I suppose I could, you know I would like to think I come across as an an open and honest an approachable chief pharmacist, but at the same time, somebody who can inspire others and coach others to become as good as they can be and, and have opportunities that they might not have or have had in previous organizations. And and that to me is is um, is really important. And the final thing I would say about my leadership style is, I, you know, I, I do try and make sure we never forget that when people spend so much time in their workplaces, make it a bit of fun, make it a happy place for people to work. And And I think if you can exhibit, you know, whilst it's a very, very busy job and we're hugely ambitious and have got so many things that we want to achieve and competing priorities, I think if you look after your staff, they will look after the service and deliver a better service for your patients. So, so I, I would like to think, you know, keeping people reminded about what I, what I see as important and what we're here for is also a really big part of being a leader and uh, and so I would hope I exhibit that to my team as well. Oh, look, I hope that's answered your question. Yeah, it has. Thank you. Uh, and certainly, what I've witnessed when working with you—that's uh, definitely you. What What do you think shaped that, Jack? What 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 would be the defining moments that that have shaped the leader you've become? You learn a lot from others, and you know we just discussed about some of the leaders and who you admire. But you also learn just as much from from people in leadership positions who who perhaps you wouldn't necessarily agree with with their approach. And um, and I think from an early stage of growing up where I suppose I do have a, you know, part of me doesn't like to disappoint and 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 I do and I do observe a lot of people. And um, and if I if I've seen leadership, which I've just thought that hasn't been great, I think I've always in my head thought, God, I wouldn't want to come across like that. And, and part of it is you learn from, you know, bad experiences and, and experiences where things haven't quite quite gone right. And and if you don't pause and reflect, then I think you'll never really pause to 
learn and improve. And I think you've got to do that because we're going to make mistakes. We're going to trip up in our lives. We know we're not going to get it right first time. Very few people do. And I was never the most gifted, I don't think, at being the most natural, best at anything. And so, but I did know that I was going to learn as quick as anybody else. And, and so I've had to do that in many ways, Phil. I've had to keep on learning and getting feedback because it probably, you know, the opportunities and, and the success probably didn't come through naturally. It came through a lot of hard work and reflection and often difficult moments where I've had to um, think I've got to improve on on this aspect or make sure I, you know, I, I, I'm not hasting my decision making or I did get something wrong and I perhaps should have done that a bit differently. And and so, you know, I think that that shapes you. But if mm. you don't have that openness or willingness to take on board that feedback or that development uh, or bring other people in. And, you know, when we worked with you, Phil, part of that was to put my hand up and and say, actually, I wanted some external help to help me and help my team and um, and help us learn from different approaches that might help us together as a team become even you know higher performing. And, and that's probably the last point I would just make there is, you know, there's nothing wrong in accepting that you haven't got all the skills, all the experience. And actually asking for help is not a bad thing. It's not a sign of weakness. We don't we don't know everything. We're not born with that. And actually a lot of it's also just how you keep on improving and learning as a as a department and as a system. And so not being afraid to bring in people when you think you need it and having that awareness. I think I've always been been a uh, had a yes, I suppose it's a, quite a sensitive indicator when it, when it comes to thinking right I need to start having a slightly different approach because it's not quite working and that's something I've been able to just be able to test the temperature and and decide when I need to bring in some support and and not being afraid to ask that uh, for that help I think has really helped and shaped a my leadership style but also has helped others as well in the process. What, what do you think has been your biggest challenge as a leader? Now, that could be recently when you took on the role at uh, the Nightingale, or has it been something at the Marsden? You know, I, I think when, it, when I look back at, um, at the experience at the Nightingale, and I probably will use that as a, as a challenge because that was the context and, and, you know, we're still living part of it now. But the, the context we were living in, you know, everyone's lives were, were, were really turned upside down. And, um, and when I got asked to go over to the nightingale um the uncertainty as to what we were trying to set up and also in in such a quick time and knowing with one eye that you know all around the country we were having increasing numbers of patients who were who were presenting with covid and you and you and you yourself feel quite vulnerable in that situation because we've never done this there's never been a blueprint for how we were going to do this so it was probably the most uncomfortable um, moment of my career. Mm-hmm. It was uh, the most challenging because you know, we didn't have, you know, we were converting a conference center into a hospital. And, um, and whilst we did that, you know, we were working with staff. I didn't have a team, so we had to develop a team and bring people in. Um, none of us were, had really worked together before. And so suddenly you were faced with every single challenge and including your own personal anxieties about, you know, about maybe even getting COVID. No, no, I think I've said to you, Phil, I, you know, I even got COVID you in my first... You contracted COVID, yeah. 
yeah and uh, in in the very beginning of april and um and so you know it, it brought home just just the challenges so you know you suddenly you're now not feeling 100 healthy and you know still got this huge challenge about setting it up um and so it was probably the biggest challenge in as a leader because i felt the huge responsibility of um of wanting to deliver needing to deliver and set something up that was going to help save lives in, in london um but the thing i would say is in those moments um i i was um uh, you know the thing that i always remember is how the whole of the nhs community and you know everyone around the country how everybody came together you know staff went out of their way to become be part of the nightingale you know, my colleagues and peers from all the hospitals across London supported me and we supported each other. And um, and there's, you know, there's something about in those moments of adversity where, gosh, actually people all come together to help. And it was a it's probably one of the most you know heartwarming um, memories of how we all were in it together. We felt that and everybody had that single focus of what we were trying to improve. And none more so than all of us working in Nightingale. A lot of us moved out of our homes and lived in hotels because, you know, we were just working long hours to make this to make this work. And um, and when you do that, you have that sole focus of, right, we're here to do a job. We're here to um, make a difference. And me personally, as the director of pharmacy for that Nightingale, was, you know, my job in many ways was quite simple. It was to create the right environment for my team to thrive and be supported and help them and help all the rest of the um, leadership team and, and all of our nurses, doctors and volunteers who came to help. And A, make sure that we were got the best possible chance of succeeding. And um, so what was my biggest challenge, um, both personally and professionally, um, when I look back on it now, it's probably also my um, uh, my proudest moment of working full stop in the NHS yeah. um, and it's something that will live with me forever and I you know when I still look back on that and all of us that did work in Nightingale I think I occasionally still get goosebumps at, uh, as to what we what we managed to achieve um, and uh, and yeah in, in in very difficult circumstances and uh, so you know I, I think so whilst you have those challenges I think you still have moments of it where you think wow we managed to do it and uh, but i'm really clear i could not have done that without my colleagues and the people that helped us along the way and also all the people like who sent me messages of support and care and love and and you know the the posters that were sent through and many people did that and you know i remember you phil sending me a message and and actually it was uh, every little message was just so important just to have Knowing that people are out there were rooting for you to be to make this a success, and uh, and so you you felt actually we're going to do this because collectively it became unstoppable, you know. Uh, good for you. That's an amazing. What did you think you learned about yourself during that period? I learned that uh, I couldn't do everything myself. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first thing because you sometimes think you have to. I learned you. It's actually all right to show your vulnerability sometimes. Um, you know, they talk sometimes about when you're a leader, sometimes you're looking down at things developing, you know, in front of you. And then, and I was overseeing the development of something like, you know, a service in a Nightingale, but I was also 
on the ground living and breathing it every day and and i learned the need to sometimes just you know take things a step at a time um and when you're living with so much uncertainty that actually you, there's a sense of a calm approach is what's needed at that point and um and if you can do that and you look after your staff and that goes back to my first thing again about in moments of adversity you know what, what's the important things well the first thing is you look after the teams around you and you look after each other and um and 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 probably more than ever before i realized the importance of you know trusting your 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 team supporting them and some of don't forget some of the people would never have worked in an itu when they were working with me in the nightingale and yet it was trusting them supporting them developing them giving them training and they stepped up and i'm so proud of what i saw there and um and so you know i i learned how a team can come together i've learned about the power of having a single purpose and and that focus on on really on on trying to deliver something that we collectively believed in but i also um i also learned you do need to have some downtime even in those crazy moments and uh maybe i didn't do that straight away but when i finished at nightingale i took a week and a half off and it might sound like a lot but i just switched off and just spent that time with my family and and i needed that because i hadn't realized the impact it had on me and um, and my and my just my you know the downtime and almost just needing a moment to just reflect on what we'd just been through and um so i i, I realized the importance of making making sure you look after yourself and it's all right to switch off it is okay to switch off you know mm. well, it's an amazing story and i think you know i speak on behalf of anyone listening thank you for all the efforts that you've done thank you uh, during that that period i i find this a, a hard question to ask you because i, I <laughs> uh, i'm not sure how often it would happen i'm, I'm thinking about <laughs> what causes the red mist for you to come down what what buttons have people pressed to make you mad <laughs> um so when the red mist comes down do you know i i think part of my leadership style is is probably quite understated uh phil and i think you probably know that yeah. as well and yeah. i'm not somebody who's going to i don't I, I'm, I'm not great at blowing my own trumpet i mean you know, people have often said you don't sell yourself very well and i don't i know i don't but i i often and maybe i've been brought up in this way from my parents to you know that your hard work and your and you know you do the right things and eventually that will get noticed and i've always had that approach so um but i but i know the probably the most recent example is when i think um when i found that somebody had uh, had decided to make a decision on on quite a key issue uh, which directly affected me and they hadn't even stopped to think about the impact not just on me, but on a number of other people. Yeah. And I realized then two things. One was, oh gosh, I, I just assumed he would have realized that I just wouldn't accept that. But the fact, but the fact sometimes I didn't make a big, you know, I, I would calmly address things and I wouldn't really be kicking or, you know, I'm not a, a, you know, banging my fist on the <laughs> table kind of guy. Yeah. And because I hadn't been maybe making myself clear about what was important about this issue, he just took for granted that it would be fine to do, even though it was wholly unacceptable. And I did find that angered me. It angered me because it was unfair, first of all, on me. 
I was disappointed because that person I thought knew me well enough to know that it would have fundamentally affected what I would be doing going forward, but not just me, but to a number of my team. Mm. And actually I thought on all levels, there was a lack of, I, I think the word is respect to even have inquired about the impact on other people. And, and I realized, you know, the, when you've grown up and my parents came over to this country from India and, um, and they would have had a challenging time coming over and they, you know, they worked hard to give their four kids a, a real, you know, a, a good education and, and be successful. Um, but, you know, my, my dad is a bus driver. My mum worked in a factory and, and, uh, and, and often quite a lot of, you know, comments that were, you know, downright rude or racist. And, um, and sometimes I saw that happen in front of me. And, and so part of me was always, whilst I'll always be good and I'll always be, working hard and I don't want people to give chance to criticize me but sometimes if I feel they've crossed a line whereby they've just assumed I'm not even going to argue it actually the red mist does come down then because I would want people to think you know my approach is not one just because I'm you know an easy touch no it's because I choose to be like that but I do absolutely stand for the principles and treating people equally and fairly now if I don't think that's been done and I don't think it's been done to me and actually, yes, that's when I do get, um, then that's where I will make it very clear and vocal. And that's where sometimes a red mist will calm down. And occasionally that's had to happen. And um, I think that's just built in because I've seen unfair decisions so many times in my life. And I've always vowed I wouldn't want to be like that. But if it's done to you, my goodness, that's something that does make you go, hang on a second, that's a step too far. Well, what I love about the stories you're telling uh, Jatinda is that the, the the core thread of the values uh, of your values that come through on, on all of them. It's 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 great to hear. Uh, so I'm going to challenge you. Hopefully, here, what's been your biggest mistake? Do you think as a leader, and what did you learn from it? You're constantly, you are constantly, constantly learning. And um, one of my biggest mistakes, I think, you trust people. You know, you use your judgment and working with people. And you do trust. You have to. You, you know, I, I honestly think you're. You've got to be able to trust colleagues and peers in, in any work, particularly when you're at a senior level. And um, and I think I realised my biggest mistake was trusting someone who, who I thought had the same or similar principles and approach to what I had, and and I trusted them and supported them hugely. And actually, did make you know realised. Perhaps they weren't quite weren't quite the same. This is going back a few years now, and uh, and it and it was a mistake in the sense that I think it caused a bit of damage to how people work. So you trusted you trusted them too much, did you? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And there was something here, Phil, where I think sometimes how you might I might work with somebody probably elicits a slightly different reaction. And if you take me out of that equation, actually, what you see in that individual on their own is a very different style and leadership approach to when I was working very closely with them. And that proved to be quite damaging in how they worked. And, uh, and I backed him, you know, I'd backed him to be able to take on a role. So I felt like I'd let down a lot of people. And I'd also realized I, I probably should have been a bit more, I should have realized, take myself out of that and just observe the person for what they are. 
because on their own, I probably realized I was covering a lot to cover up their, some of their deficiencies, but together we were working well. Now, when you take me out of that equation, I realized actually that, you know, suddenly on their own, the person became perhaps not as um, good as I thought they would be. Right. And I'd given them a fair chance and, uh, and an opportunity and they, and, you know, I felt let down, but also I think I let down some of the staff who trusted that I thought I had got it, you know, that I was going to do the best for them and I didn't do it right. What have you learned about yourself? What have you... Well, so what I've learned about myself is number one is to, um, you realize you really have to be, you know, it's quite difficult to just be objective about an individual when you're working closely with them. Yeah, and you do, you kind of, you have an influenced opinion and view of how well you work together. And really though, when you're not there, you do need to almost step back and say, actually on their own, well, that person still had the same impact as we are having together. And, um, and the answer for that is, I think I, I, what I've learned is I need to pause and just have developed that objective review and also seek feedback from perhaps some others um, before you know, allowing that person to be able to have that, you know, independent um, leadership role, which could, could, you know, prove to be a bit damaging. And I think that's what I learned there was you probably need to do a little bit more work and a little bit more due diligence before you can actively support somebody to take on a role. Otherwise, it could be damaging and long lasting. And, you know, it was probably, you know, a few years ago now when this happened and I look back on it and I still think, oh, I, could I have prevented a lot of damage? to, you know, part of a department and even to individuals. And, and you know, my, my, my regret is I maybe could have done more. And I, and I you know, I kicked myself about mm. that years uh, ago. And it sounds like, though, you've learned from it, which is good to hear. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. I, I guess from, from all your experience, from the stories, from the mistakes, from the challenges, um, what advice would you, would you share for aspiring leaders? There's many things I would say. The first of those is, really take time to really invest in in yourself and also in in your teams because um because that's so important make sure you've got a safe place to share your concerns but also to you know almost have a i suppose a safe place to uh put forward how you might want to approach situations you know a bit you know the coaching side don't stop getting your personal development coaching when you start. In fact, it becomes even more important as you're developing to a, into a, you know, a more senior leader. Um, getting feedback is really important, but also take the little cues, take notice of the cues. And if something doesn't quite sit right with you, then there's probably a reason why you're feeling that and you need to unpick it um, because I would say people look to a leader and they, they want you to be lots of things. But first and foremost, they want you to be fair. They want you to be aware of what things are going on. But they also need to know that they can come to you. Staff can come to you and, um, and trust you and know that they'll get a sensible response as well. And, and it puts a lot of pressure on a leader. However, when you also turn that around and realize you know, a key part of a leader can, you know, make how you know a team or individuals might feel about their work well that's a great opportunity it's a huge opportunity you know take each day as a as a moment to go out and speak to your teams engage with them 
And I would say you never stop doing that because if you get to know your teams and um, and and people and people see you as somebody who pays interest to everyone, then then they'll work really hard for you. And I always remember one thing somebody said to me once when I left an organisation, my first chief pharmacist role, and somebody said to me as I was leaving, and he was a really junior member of staff, and he came up to me and said, and his exact words were, you were never above us, you were always one of us. Yeah. And and actually, I look back on that and I thought, that's really lovely for you to say that. And to me, that was always really important. They knew I was their chief, but I didn't act as if I was above them. I did try to act as if I was one of them. And there are times when you have to make tough decisions, but I think they also respected that. So remember that, I would say. Remember the people and and what you've learned from throughout your career, because I think reflecting on that's important. Don't stop your personal development. Get coaching and make sure um, you, know, you invest time in yourself to become better for your teams is really important. And, and the other thing I would say for aspiring leaders is I also think you're at your best when you've got a balance. When you've got a balance, yeah. you've got to do that. And although, you know, that might feel like odds, and I've said about my biggest challenge, but also one of my biggest moments in my career was being Nightingale. That was a very different, very time-limited period. Yeah. But long-term, yeah. you've got to be looking after yourself because then you're in the best position of being successful. So, 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 give the listeners it's a, that's a nice cue to move on to the the Jatinder outside of work. I know last year you did the London Marathon with a, a colleague and raised uh, eleven thousand yeah. pounds for the Cancer Trust. Just give us a, an insight to the Jatinder outside of work. So, I so I'm a, I'm a keen runner, and you know, one thing that's been hard in the last seven or eight months is my running really suffered um, whilst I was recovering from COVID, and. Um, uh, so I found that quite difficult uh, to carry on running at similar levels to what I used to before, but I'm getting back to it and uh, really important. So, um, yeah, running, uh, I'm, I still play football with my um, uh, with the same group of guys I have done for 10 plus years. And and, you know, that's it's as much social as it is um, about our yeah. football skills. because yeah, The skills aren't that you. great yeah. anymore. And um, but I'm also, you know, um, as you probably realised, um, you know, I, I have, I have a, I'm married with two kids, and and spending that quality family time is something that is really important for me. And uh, and again, you know, earlier this year, while I was at Nightingale, I I I'd spent you know nearly eight weeks living in a hotel uh, away from the family, and um, and that was the other challenge in that. And you know, it's really for me, you know, for me, that's the important part is having my family. Um, uh, you know, and you know, I, my siblings and my and my parents and my and my wife's family as well, very close. So that's really important to have that. Um, so that's really important. And tomorrow, life's going to get even better for us because we're picking up our puppy. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, so that's going to be nice. So we, that's going to be really good. It's going to be add add to the hectic nature, but <laughs> but also will mean that um, it gets us out and about. So we love the outdoors and. Um, and that's really important. The other thing I do on a, uh, the uh, the other thing Jack does outside of work is um, I used to help in my son's football team. And uh, and whilst I don't manage their team anymore, um, I do. You'll often find me on a Sunday morning uh, being linesman on these Sunday league football. And so, um, yes, yeah, so and it's a nice release, let's say. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> so uh, professionally or personally, how have you overcome your biggest setbacks? Yeah, um, 
so it goes back to the the advice I'd give to aspiring leaders about a looking after yourself um, is really important because there are times when your resilience will be um, will be required. It'll be stretched. And I overcome my biggest setbacks by having I, I have very honest conversations with people, but I have um, some very close friends who who are probably my sounding boards as well. And um, and so uh, knowing that I've got them on speed dial, and I know that come day or night, I, if I ever had to call them for advice, I know they are there for me as I am for them. Um, but also, I think it's sometimes, you know, I try, I, as you get a bit older, you, you, you try and um, put things into perspective. And if one thing that I've learned in this last 12 months um, has been, it, 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 things will pass. And, it, you know, you hear that comment said a lot about it will pass. And there is, no matter how difficult something might feel at that moment, having your confidence and your coaching and your personal resilience with everything that you do outside. Um, but remember, it will pass and um, and we will get through things. And, and, and I've realized that more than probably ever before. So both professionally and personally, I think it's, um, you know, if you're in doubt, you should seek advice, um, whether that's professional coaching. Um, but more importantly, it's having that calm approach in, in amongst sometimes what can feel quite a, you know, a storm-like environment. So, so I think that would be my my advice, and and that's how I've tried to overcome big setbacks, and uh, and it's been pretty good so far, I'd say. And, and what does the future hold for you? I'm probably as ambitious today as I had been when I first qualified 29 years ago. I'm constantly looking to improve. I've got a real interest in improving the quality of service through quality improvement, and be, you know, and helping organisations become learning organisations and and you know supporting people to get even better and um and the future for me i hope you know i can continue to do that here in the royal mars and make a difference for our patients because they deserve it and they're going through a difficult journey but actually i also i'd like to do that on an even wider scale so i've got this passion and this desire to want to make a difference and try and do that in the right way so i hope i just get that chance to keep on being able to do it and um and do it in a way that that I hope people see is helpful and also that we just keep on making, you know, I'm fiercely proud of the NHS, but also like to make sure that um, all of us get a chance to make a difference to people's lives. And so, you know, if I can carry on doing that in my future, then then, then I'll be a happy man. Good for you. And a couple of quick fire questions to, to finish. What's, uh, what's your guilty pleasure, Jack? 1980s music. <laughs> any particular any particular band or song come on well gosh if i go back to when i was uh 16 17 and uh and i can still remember u2's uh album the joshua tree was one that yeah. that was a turning point for me but but i must say the very first album i ever bought was from the police regatta de blanc back in 1980 and uh and that's my guilty pleasure. So that and probably the Joshua Tree. <laughs> uh, good for you. What makes you smile? Music and my children never stop making me smile. And uh, there's a group of us from university who 
we've known each other for over 30 years now and we every year we make a commitment to go away for a long weekend and we weren't able to do it in 2020 um but we will this year in 21 and um uh, and they make me smile it's a weekend of belly laughs and that is so important so they make me smile and you know my children and my family do because um it just brings a smile to my face when i talk about them yeah i i just want to say uh thank you uh i i started off this this podcast by introducing you as i think one of the loveliest men you'd ever want to meet and i can't believe anyone listening to this that uh, won't believe that as well. Um, thank you. Uh, Jack, th- thank you uh, for coming on. Uh, the stories were brilliant, obviously particularly around the Nightingale yeah. and the much-deserved MBE. Thank you. Uh, and I wish you the very best of luck with your puppy. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Phil, and thank you for all of your support as well. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure, and, uh, and thanks for uh, inviting me today. Leadership Confessions from Clarity Leadership. Email hello at clarityleadership.co.uk and subscribe to receive every episode as it's released.